Hello and welcome to Little Inspirations with me, Declan Lawn. This is a podcast about the things in our lives, some big, some little, that help us get through those difficult times, the things that inspire us. So it could be anything from your favourite piece of art to a poem that just sticks in your head, a song that gives you strength, or that movie that you can just watch again and again. It's a podcast about the little building blocks of our well-being, the things that we rely on. Every week, I'll be talking to a range of guests from various fields, from politics to the arts, business and academia. The show is made in conjunction with Inspire Wellbeing. My guest this week moved to Belfast in 1973 as a member of the religious order, the Daughters of Charity. Since then, she has led a life of service as a nun, a teacher, and more recently as a worker with Belfast's homeless community. Sister Nula Kelly, you're very welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you very much, indeed, Declan. Thank you for that introduction. How are you these yeah. days? How, how has this last crazy year been for you and your community? It's been very, very hard, I must say now. And especially for myself, I've been so used to being in ministry. And you mentioned I work with the homeless, so I have lots of places that I go to every week, every day. And since the lockdown came, I haven't been able to do that, except by phone and different things. So not being able to visit hostels and visit my friends in that sense has been, I must say, very, very difficult. I feel as if part of me has gone mm. and my sense of worth or value, especially during these these last number of months, have been very, very difficult. Um, how, how many members of your community are there here in Belfast? There are only five of us now five altogether so we, our numbers have dwindled a lot every year every couple of years it goes down a little bit and that's the nature of all communities I think at this stage we're all on the as they say on the downward slope but we're still very vibrant and active so and so so the five of you were really just have just been contained in your in your residence more or less for yeah that's right there are four of us in this house and the, the one person is living in an apartment so there are five of us but four of us in this house where I am here you know, so it, but I've been lucky in the sense that I live near the Falls Park. Mm. And for somebody who was never a good walker, I have improved 200% at walking. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love I love going into the Falls Park. I love nature and I love walking. And that part of it for me, I think, has been really, really, really wonderful. It's a new life. And one of the things that I've been thinking about when I was asked to do things that sort of have inspired me. And I, I think it's, you know, taking small things for granted. And I think the title of this little inspirations, it's the small things of life that are of value, not the big things. Mm -hmm. And I think since the lockdown, I think being able to just enjoy nature enjoy small little things and being inspired by small things mm. and a couple of years ago I saw this quotation which stayed with me and it said it's nice to wake up in the morning realizing that God has given me another day to live mm. now God is a different meaning for everybody in every context we all believe in something or some person and to wake up and find I have another day even if I'm not going out into ministry and visiting these people that I mentioned, there is another day where you can smile at somebody, another day where I can lift a phone and talk to somebody, send a card to somebody. There are still, there are still lots of things that I can do 
and to have you know every day to do that to me is I find that very very important and very precious so you look for things to be grateful for yes absolutely absolutely and I remember seeing somebody reading something that somebody wrote at one stage and saying every night write down three things that you're grateful for at the end of your day and I've I've done that but I could fill a whole page most times. It's not just three things. Mm. And I think gratitude is one of the most wonderful things. And I've learned that from a lot of people. And I'll just give an example that I, I didn't intend mentioning, but uh, for the, since I retired from school and working with the homeless, but I do an outreach before lockdown on a Saturday night, I'm taking tea and coffee and things to the homeless around the streets of Belfast. And it's one of the things that I really, again, miss so, so much. But one of the things I've learned in the sense of gratitude, you know, speaking to the people that are on the street and they are so grateful, you know, and I don't like just giving a cup of tea or coffee. I like to have a little short chat with them. Mm -hmm. And then somebody says to you, thank you for talking to me. Mm. And that really gets to me. Imagine thanking me for talking to them. So that gratitude comes another chap, then he's Romanian and he's always smiling. And he finishes every night with happy good night. <laughs> and I think it's the happiness that they bring and what I learn from them. But gratitude certainly is a big thing. And I think I am more conscious of it, I think, since the lockdown. You know, I haven't been touched by the virus, thanks be to God, up to now. And just to be able to do those sort of things that so many people cannot do. So gratitude is a big part, a very, very big part of my life. And what role, when something like this happens, um, I mean, you've, you've been through a lot of difficult mm. times in your life. You, 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 um, you were teaching in West Belfast in the 70s. You saw some brutal mm. and terrible things, uh, lockdown. To, I'm interested, as a member of a religious order and as someone who obviously very young, chose that life to what extent does faith play a role there in 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 keeping you grateful i mean i'm just interested really in the role of faith mm-hmm. in your life and how, how it manifests itself yeah i think faith faith is very important and for me faith is important and i think the community i belong to st vincent de paul and louise de mariac were the founders of the community i belong to and the faith that they were the 16th century in France and they were really revolutionaries for the homeless in, mm. in those days in France. And one of the many things that Vincent de Paul would say, we see Christ in the face of other people. If we see a poor person, you know, it's another Christ. And as a Christian and in the community I belong to, I think that's very important. Sometimes it can be very hard. And you mentioned there about the troubles, you know, when I came to Belfast in 1973, a young, innocent creature brought up in West Cork, but I'd been living in London for a few years. And to find myself here in the troubles in Belfast. And again, the inspiration I got from the young people and from mothers, mm-hmm. you had to have faith. And again, I was inspired by the faith of people. And I always remember being in a house where you know, the troubles were so bad where people shot on both sides of the community divide. And remembering in a house one evening and 
this mother's son had been shot dead mm. and she was standing at the coffin looking at her son and again her response to that was I prefer to be the mother of the boy in the coffin than the mother of the boy who shot him and mm. I forgive the person who did it and I think it's for her she had faith and that without knowing it we talk about little inspirations mm. without knowing it you know she passed that on to me I hadn't been used to people being shot dead thank god on any side and again, I remember in the school, in the post-primary school I was in in West Belfast, a very inspirational head teacher at assembly where you could have 400 young people. And again, somebody would have been shot. It didn't matter which side of the divide the person was shot. Mm. And the head teacher would get up at the assembly. And part of what she'd say would be Protestant tears are the same as Catholic tears. So if there's somebody shot, it doesn't matter. You don't ask, is it a Catholic? Is it a Protestant? The tears and the grief are the same. And the pain and the anguish and the faith, I'm sure, on the other side, as we call it, would have been equally important and equally strong. So faith plays a big role in my life. See, it's it's a very interesting approach to life, I think. You know, I'm just thinking of you there as a, as a young nun being faced with the total brutality of the troubles, but but taking from it these little inspirations, as, mm. as as you call them, which is the very name of this podcast, and and it seems like a kind of a conscious decision to look for good in life, uh, d- despite that you know sometimes you know evil and brutality and 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 horror that like. Other people might just become overwhelmed by it. I, I don't know. Is that mm-hmm. is it just a cast of mind, or what? How do you how do you explain your approach to life? Because there you are, you know, teaching right through the troubles, dealing mm-hmm. with people who are homeless and addicted, and who have had the most horrific things happen to them. Some of them might have done terrible things, and yet amidst all this, you sustain it. Where. I don't know, it just seems like a difficult thing mm. to do, a difficult yeah. life to choose. Yeah, I, I, I think, I suppose the community I belong to, you know, service is at the essence. And I think it's in our genes, if we're in this community, this is what we do. Mm. You know, service to others in whatever shape or form. Mm. And as a member of a community, you know, we give our lives. And at that stage, you know, as a member of this community, you could be assigned when I joined first to England, Scotland, Wales, Dublin, it could be anywhere. And that was your vocation, the same as nurses and doctors. This was the vocation that I was called to. So in the in, in the everyday life of that, I think when I arrived in Belfast, I was in West Belfast in Bally Murphy, the people were just wonderful. You know, the bombs were going off, so things were happening. And still life went on as normal. Mm. They went into town on a Saturday for coffee or for shopping, mm. you know. And the place would have been bombed the night before, but they were still away the next morning. Life went on. And I think I learned a lot from the people in the early days. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't sit back. And for me, it was a privilege every day. And after school, I used to visit the homes. And that was such a blessing and such an inspiration just to hear the families talking and their gratefulness for what they had and reaching out again to others. You, you mentioned there that this life was a vocation that you were called to. Um, so do, do you see yourself as having 
chosen it or that it was a you know that there was god was at work in that or how how do you see that because i was going to ask you the question why did why did you choose this and when did you choose it what were the circumstances but i suppose you would frame it more like it chose you maybe i think i think that would be right Declan, because i wasn't the most timid of young people growing up mm-hmm. so it wouldn't have been something i would have thought of at 15 or 16 or 17 years of age but i suppose it's like any vocation when you, the words you use there are so appropriate, it chose me, God, for some reason. And I think, you know, when word got out first that I was going to join a community, I think it was more shock than anything. It just, mm. it couldn't be me. And, but, but how did it happen in your life? Was it a, a single moment or was it a gradual thing? What, it was what? a gradual, yes, it was a gradual. I had done my leaving cert, which was the equivalent of the A-levels up here. And then I was deciding, and I could have gone to the civil service if I wanted to. And I, you know, I was very interested in that. And still there was something nagging all the time that this wasn't what I should do. I tried. And I think when I was, but I think it is when you go back to what you're saying, it, it's a vocation that was chosen, you know, for some reason I was meant to join and join this community. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to explain. I keep saying, well, somebody wants to be a doctor. Somebody wants to be a nurse. You know, and it is, and it's something that you give your life to. When I see the nurses and doctors and what they are doing on the front line at the moment, mm-hmm. that has to be a vocation. So, in lots of ways, what I was doing was a very simplified version of that. And I mean, even then, a lot it it might strike fear into the hearts of a of a young woman or a young man. The idea of joining a religious order or the priesthood. Um, you know, uh, now in particular, I think it would seem very alien to many young people. D- did you ever have doubts before you did it? Or did you ever have any doubts after you did it? So I certainly did and had doubts before it as well. But I was prepared to try it and give it a month and see how I'd get on. You know, mm. I was in West Cork and we started off in those days in Dublin. And I think I was. it was facing the unknown. I really didn't know what, what was ahead. But I suppose it's like everything else. It was a leap in the dark. And if this is what God wanted, then I was prepared to give it a go. It was hard. In those days, seminary life was hard in every community. But nobody forced me. I've, I was free to leave at any stage if I wanted to. But I think this, that's what a vocation and that's what a calling is all about. So and while it wasn't easy, you know, there was great fulfillment. And then as time went on and then, you, you know, you made vows and, you know, it, it all sort of fell into place then. And is religious life ever lonely? Do you, have, do you ever feel lonely? Not in the sense of being isolated. You know, mm-hmm. before, in some communities that I was in, there were eight or nine people, you know, and I suppose it was all, there was always a sense of, of community spirit because there were times where we pray together, you mm-hmm. know, and that's part of, I know we're a very active community. But there's also the contemplative side that was arranged by Vincent and Louise. You know, we pray, we do an hour's mental prayer every day, or meditation, call it what you will. Mm. And we can do that at our own time. We pray together as a community every morning and every evening. We meet at mealtime. So there's always a sense of community. And we're always there for one another through thick Mm. and thin. You know, but it can't always be easy. I think marriage isn't always easy. No, of course. No. Yeah. So I think, but there is that, I think prayer is, is terribly important in keeping us together and keeping us grounded in what we're doing. I think that's, and that 
if we haven't that, then we might as well be living out in flats and doing doing ordering work. I think it's community spirit and that kind of prayer life that is very important up to now. It, it, you know, I think lay people like yourself are doing the wonderful work now that mm. really just started off doing. I think there are people raised up in the church nowadays that are are doing equally good work. Yeah, it's interesting where um, where it's going to go, isn't it? Because um, when you look back at what you might call Catholic Ireland, um, and as mm. we all know now, there were many, many bad things about it, but there was also a massive reservoir of people doing good and important work as well, mm. uh, religious orders. And, and sh- their, their numbers are simply dwindling now to the yeah. extent that those people just aren't, they're just yeah. not around anymore. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think it's the time, it's the role of the laity. And I, I feel very strongly that mm. lay people should have been involved, not just now because there's a scarcity of priests. Mm. Lay people should have been involved, involved since Vatican II when we go back to those days. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, there were small steps taken, big deal. And I think I feel the same about young people. I think we have lost young people in the church today, and it's not the young people's fault. I think we haven't reached out as a church to young people. And I think nowadays, you know, the laity, for whatever reason, haven't been given their proper place in the church. Mm-hmm. And it's forced nearly now on the institutional church, mm-hmm. you know, to bring lay people in to do this, that, or the next, or whatever. And I think it's sad when it comes that way. We're all church together. Whatever our vocation is, whatever our life is, we're all in this together and haven't been given the opportunity. But I think there are so many men and women in every church, every congregation, who are prepared to give their time, Mm. prepared to give of themselves. And for the same reason as us did it for a number of years ago, and I would just love to see what the image of the church would be in 10, 20 years' time. Clergy won't be there because they're doing it as well. Mm. So I think there'll be a new form of church, a new form of how we minister church, how we live church. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of institutional church that we have been, I've been grown up in, I think that will be very, very different. And that may be a good thing. Well, Okay, so interesting in terms of that point is what what you do or what you have been doing until the pandemic. That version of a of a church which is working, your work has been with homeless people. Um, mm-hmm. Like, talk to me a little bit about that experience. What what you've taken away from it, and 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 what you see in their lives. I mean, do you? Do you approach it from the perspective of of the church? Are you trying to, you know, evangelize or or are you just, how how does it work? Mm -hmm. No, certainly not evangelize and not from the church point of view either. The hostel that I, that I'm very familiar with, and it's, it's for alcoholic men and women. And Mm -hmm. I spend, I would be there five days a week and I go there so often we do all sorts of things together. I would never even know who is a Catholic or a Protestant there. Mm-hmm. And they're not in the slightest bit interested. They call me sister sometimes and they don't other times. Some of them would never have had any experience of a religious or a nun. And some of them will say, oh, you're a nun, whatever that means, that they're not quite sure. So I go as a human being 
reaching out to these people who are human beings and some of the most wonderful people that I have met. So I'm not representing the church for them. What I do with them is very simple. You know, sitting with them, chatting with them, playing cards with them. Mm. Somebody dies and we have a service with them and I stay with them. And there are all sorts of ways. Some of these people have lost everything. They've lost their family. They've lost their homes. Mm. There's some very highly qualified, educated people who just have seen bad times. And sometimes because I'm not a paid member of staff, I'm not on any institution in that sense. I'm not representing anything. I think they feel they can come and talk to me. Mm. And it's somebody else just to listen to them. And very often it's about their family and what they're missing. Christmas time, I find very hard. And actually, I was thinking today being Good Friday, I would normally be doing a service in the hostel today being Good Friday. And that is so, so moving because we sit around and we chat. And, you know, at Christmas time, they talk about what Christmas meant to them. Mm. And still, despite all of this, it's the small things that are important to them. And they're so good to each other. They look out for one another. And I remember one day being there, somebody was looking for a fag or a cigarette, as they call it. And, you know, this person, it was their last cigarette, but they gave it over. Wow. You know, it's community for them. But some of these people are, are still in the throes of their addiction. Yes. Yes. Still... Oh, yes. So, so that that's interesting because sometimes that must feel to you surely like, like banging your head against the brick wall. If, 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 if someone's not changing, if there's no, seems to be no progression, no, does it not feel? No, some people, yeah, I know what you're saying. Some people feel that, you know, are we just, are we just maintaining that kind of a system? And that's not true. When they come to the hostel, they're, they're taken where they're at. There's no one saying you have to give up drink or you have to do X, Y, and Z. They're taken where they're at. And then there's a program that they follow in the sense of they each get to have a key worker. But from what you're saying, it's it's not trying to change them to give up alcohol or to stop their addiction. Mm. It's trying to see them how they can improve in their own lives. Mm. And from my working with them, the number of people that have gone out to live independently. Mm. So they have managed to go to their own place. And when they do go, I think the thing that hits them mostly is the loneliness. Yeah. They've been used to being in a family set up in a family environment and they might not always have got on together. But mm. at least say the support of one another. And now suddenly they're on their own. They have to coop for themselves and they have to do that. So I do a lot of work with with the people who have left the hostel and are now living very successfully independently you and see, are doing very well. Loneliness is a really interesting subject, I think, because both as a journalist and then I, as a volunteer myself for St. Vincent mm. Paul, what I've seen over the last, I don't know, 15, 10 or 15 years is what seems like a, a terrible epidemic of loneliness, which yeah. I can only assume in the pandemic is is even worse than it, than it was. Something to do, I think, with our kind of atomized capitalist society, fracturing of, you know, of what used to be close communities. And it, so many times in, in both, you know, my professional role and, and sometimes as a volunteer, peop, all people wanted to do was just talk they just wanted yeah. to have someone to talk to. And it, I was always completely amazed, still am completely amazed, at how many people there are in our society 
who just don't ever, ever have anyone to talk to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's very, very true. That is really very true. And I remember when I was in school, in the post-primary school, I think I mentioned before at some stage about, you know, when you were saying about the loneliness, the little inspirations from school days in teaching in the school. There was a society in school called Mariac Society, and that was named after Louise de Mariac, who was the co-founder of our community. And that society, and now I'm going back to 1958, our when the school opened in 58, the society was started then, went into the 70s and the 80s. And the idea of that was two girls once a week went to visit an old person, mm. somebody who was living on their own and needed somebody just to call on them. It could be any part of West Belfast or wherever there was a need. And what struck me when I was thinking about that was the loneliness then might have been a different kind of loneliness but I think there are still people on their own, as you're saying, people that are still lonely. So the girls would go once a week. At Halloween, they would take something. At Christmas, they'd do a hamper. But the important thing was the weekly visit. And when the girls left school, very often they continued their visit mm. to this person. They were friends mm. and they called them family. If somebody died, they were at the funeral. Very often, the old person was invited to their wedding. Yeah. You know, Things haven't changed, except there is more loneliness, I think, since the lockdown. Mm. But going back, you know, the young people that were doing that, I'm sure they're still doing that today and passing it on to their families as well. But I think there is a terrible lot of loneliness. One person that since the lockdown, I keep in touch with him. He was in the hostel. He's living on his own now in Hollywood and he's doing very, very well. He still drinks a little bit, but he's doing well. And I meet him in town for coffee and brunch and everything. Mm. But at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I used to text him every other day. But he phoned one day and he said, I just want to hear a human voice. Mm-hmm. He said, you go for a walk on your own. You come back on your own. You go into your house on your own and you have no one to talk to. And that really and that's only since the lockdown. I thought, how many more are like that? So since then, I ring him at least every other day just to make sure he hears a human voice mm. and how many more are out there. You know, so the inspiration from those young people. Sounds like the kind of thing that would be particularly useful these days. It, yeah, exactly. When I was thinking about this, I thought they're the inspirational girls and after school and weekends or whatever. And they would come and say they're my my old lady, my old lady or whatever it is and what they need. I think, you know. I think the loneliness, you know, for different reasons now, I think the loneliness is, is just as bad or maybe worse. In, in terms of your, your personal outlook and, and philosophy on life, obviously, obviously your faith resides at the heart of that. And you mentioned getting out into to nature. Um, mm. What else, what sustains you th- throughout the day? Or what, what, what little things do you do or take pleasure from that, that kind of, Keep you going. Is this during the lockdown? I, either, yeah. And, either yeah. time, right. Well, see, before the lockdown, I had no difficulty whatsoever mm. because so you know, we pray in the morning together and then after breakfast or whatever, go to church usually around 10 o'clock. And after that, I was out all day practically until mm. four or five o'clock. Mm. And I'd be in the hostel and we have a, there are two other family hostels in Belfast and they have we have a place in Dungannon and in Derry, and I visit them as well. And they all are, do do just some fantastic work. So it so, must have been a, a terrible blow to you, to a person like you. 
when that came to an end and you were forced to stay in your house all day? Yes, it was. It was very tough. So I made a, I made a list of people that, that are out in society to make sure I kept contact with them, even if I couldn't visit them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing sending a Christmas card to somebody, sending a birthday card to somebody. Mm-hmm. Some people do not get a birthday card in this day and age. Mm-hmm. So I got involved in a lot of those kind of things. And again, walking was my salvation, I think. Mm-hmm. Walking the Falls Park, seeing the beauty. You know, I live so close to it. I had never walked in the park before that. Really? Never before? Yeah, I suppose you I'd never time. walked. The f- I'm ashamed to say it. And, you know, it was laziness, I think, more than anything. Mm. But, um, you know, the beauty and, the, you know, the squirrels, the rabbits, the, and especially the families, the yes. families that go there now. The, you know, the nature is all around us. And I was thinking one day, I think, I think it was Van Gogh was saying, anybody who sees beauty in nature will see beauty everywhere. And yeah. I think there isn't a day that I go for a walk. And I think, you know, here in Belfast, there's so many beautiful places. Mm. But and I never take those earphones or anything with me. I just want to just feel and treasure the air, the things around me and just observe what's there. It's interesting, isn't it? I think we've all had an education in what nature has to offer over the last year because mm. we haven't had any other stimuli. You know, there's been no no dinners out or no going to the pub or no cinema or no, all, all of the things that people used to fill their lives with. Now, now a, a day walking up the Divis Mountain or, 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 you know, heading out to Bangor or whatever is, a, that is yeah. what people see as pleasurable now. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and the, to an extent it would be great if that stayed, you know, if that, yeah. if people kept that appreciate, because we are unbelievably lucky in Belfast and in the North of Ireland to mm-hmm. have everything we've got like, yeah, I think the north of Ireland, the north of Ireland is just so, so beautiful. I've discovered different walks as well, down by the docks, you uh-huh. know, it's been near the hostel there and to walk up that way by the the fish and down by the Titanic along there. I've discovered beautiful things there, which I would never have done, I think, except that it's, mm. uh, it's such a gift now. Just such, I was in the Falls Park one day and there's, there's, I don't know if you know it or not, there's a river in the Falls Park. Yes, I know it, yeah. And there was a there was a young fellow there one day, man in his twenties, and he had a big dog, looked like a big Alsatian dog, nearly as big as myself. Mm. And he was the dog. He was at one side watching the dog, and I was I stood there and I thought, what is why is he watching the dog? It was the first time he had taken the dog out the river, wow. and the dog would go down a small little bit, touch the water a bit, and go back up again. Mm. And that mm. went on and on. And he said, today is my first day bringing the dog to the water. And he's learning what the water is about. Mm. And eventually the dog got into the water and just galloped and galloped and galloped up the stream. Mm. And I thought, beautiful magic, absolute magic. You see, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful story because it's, I think the, the heart of everything you've, you've said in this, in this uh, talk with me is that to, to a great extent, humans have an ability to to frame life and to choose how they want to see it, don't they? I mean, we terrible things can happen to us and, and there can be tragedies and so on. Mm. We have to, can, things can be overwhelming. But also, but in a day-to-day way, we can decide if we want to see beauty or we can yeah. decide if we want to even to an extent be happy or, mm. uh, you know, that seems to be your philosophy at its heart. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I try as well. I think the other word 
I mentioned something about, you know, mindfulness that comes with taking every day and enjoying every day and seeing what we have, you know, mindfulness, being conscious of the now, you know, mm. everything that we have. And I know some organizations now allow time for staff to do 10, 15 minutes in the primary schools. They have mindfulness as yeah, well. My, my son does it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that I think that is wonderful. I think that's going to pay dividends in time to come. And I think when, when I'm looking at at life, you know, before pandemic and after the pandemic, mm. I would still go back to this idea of mindfulness, what I have today. And I think it was Leo Tolstoy wrote, there is only one thing, one time that is important. And the word is now. Mm. It is the most important time because it is the only time we have any power. Mm. So we have now and we have now and how I spend now, I can decide, as you said earlier, you know, how to spend it well or spend it differently. Mm. And I think being positive, having a positive attitude for me, I think I've learned this over the years. You know, there's nothing worse than having negative people around you. Mm. You know, I've said to people, isn't that a beautiful day? And the answer you get is, up oh, at the rain is coming. Yes. <laughs> no, let the rain come. Today is beautiful. Let's see the glass half full, not half empty. And again, I've learned that from the people on the street and from the people in, in the hostel. You know, they're grateful and so glad to have what they have. And then they have the aspiration and the vision to hope for something better. And if I can help in that vision, yeah. isn't that a privilege? And I think that kind of that kind of unlocks, I suppose, something you were saying to me earlier. When I, when I, I suppose I was trying to say, you know, do you, are you trying to help these people or move their life on? And I guess if you're living in the now, then then what you're mm. trying to do is just be there in the moment with them, and whatever happens, yeah. happens. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that that is true. And some days they're in good form, some days they're in bad form. So am I. So I take them, and I've got to remember. I never forget being in the hostel one day, and there was a chap coming in. This will always stay with me. He was a man in his 50s mm. and he had never been in a hostel before. He had never lost his home before. He was never homeless before. And he was arriving in and I, my heart just broke. I thought that could be anybody belong to me. And how would I feel? So I have that empathy for somebody that finds themselves in that position. Mm. And then when it comes to, you know, settling in and then missing the family because they have some of them have lost have lost everything they do regain some of it again and they struggle and by gosh they struggle very very hard get back in addiction and drugs have come into it now as well as as well as alcohol and young people as well so they have inspired me by you know trying so hard you know and i find myself saying you know, I'd just love to sit down and have a real chat. And, and that's all they want most of the time is just to sit and talk about it, talk about how they feel and the things that are really getting to them, which, mm -hmm. you know, is very much family life and what they miss in family life. It's, it's extraordinary work that you're doing. And look, I'll, I'll, I'll close off by, uh, I know you, you, you like to live in the now, but I'm going to ask you to talk about the future. So, so what happens now? I mean, have you been vaccinated will you be able to get back out into the world how are things going to unfold over the next months and years yeah i've had i've had the two vaccinations i'm so i feel happy about that 
uh, travel wise going across the border will be a problem I'm not sure when I get to Cork again and that's not a big problem when it comes it comes there are people far worse off than that my big thing would be you know I tried yesterday I had the greatest pleasure yesterday I went to three hostels yesterday wow. just for a very quick visit mm. I found it very emotional I felt like coming home amazing it was just like coming home it was it was wonderful so I'm looking forward to the day when I can leave in the morning here at half 10 and just go down and be myself and be with them. And again, when you're talking about the future, I think one quotation that I like very much, and it's from Oscar Romero, you're probably very familiar with it. And I'll just mention that before I close off with you, if you want to. And Oscar Romero says, we plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. And for me, the future, whatever the future holds with pandemic or whatever, I still have an opportunity to live every day and be conscious of people and do small little things like I did yesterday to ring somebody and say, how are you getting on in your new flat? I have a card for you. Give me your address and I'll post the card for you. And I think, you know, if I can make people happier along their journey, I learn more from them than I give to them. I learn far more. So it's a privilege and I think duty as well. But there's an amount to be done in the future. And I mightn't be a spring chicken, but there's a lot of life I hope left and a lot of time that I can hopefully spend out there as well. Well, it has been a real privilege speaking with you. And this is actually um, not just the end of this podcast, but, but but the end of this first season of this podcast series. You're my okay. final guest in the season. And I, I have oh. to say, I can't think of a better uh, way to end it than, than with that Oscar Romero quote. And, mm. um, and with your philosophy on life, I, I have learned so much from you today, and, and I, I imagine our listeners will have too. Uh, so, Sister Nula Kelly, thank you very much indeed. It's been an absolute pleasure, mm-hmm. and, and long may your important work continue. Yeah, thank you so much indeed, Stepson. Thank you very, very much, and all the best to inspire. Thank you.